taken from Luke 11, 1 through 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And from Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. How are we doing? Hey, excellent. Amen. That, uh, that prayer time got me a little bit. Um, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Cam Michael. I serve on campus with an organization called Athletes in Action. Uh, my wife, Kayla, and we have a little six-month baby in the nursery right now who is uh, keeping us engaged in life. I don't know. I don't know where. She's just keeping us on our toes and alive and well. Um, but uh, I'm pumped to be here. Um, we just kind of recently joined this community and joined this church, and uh, we are so excited just to be a part of it. Um, I want to talk this morning um, about prayer, which is kind of crazy that we did a little congregational prayer, so God's doing something, I guess. Um, but I want to talk about prayer this morning, and we saw in the passage, we see in Luke 11, there, there's something different about the way that Jesus prays, right? There's something. It says Jesus went away to a certain place, and then his disciples who'd been following him around, seeing him heal people, seeing him preach the kingdom of God and the gospel, seeing him raise people from the dead, um, preach at the synagogue, all these different things. They, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He never, they, didn't, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to raise people from the dead, all this really cool stuff. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. I think that's really fascinating. And I think we're in the same boat, right? I mean, prayer is really a global phenomena. And, and I'm about to read some stats that are, they kind of date themselves, they're a little bit older now, but it says this, uh, church attendance is declining, yet statistics on prayer have never been higher. And according to this Gallup research, this week, this week, more Americans will pray than will drive a car, exercise, have sexual relations, or go to work. That dates the stat right there, right? Sexual relations, like no one would say that in a stat in 2019. But more people will, will pray than drive a car, exercise, have sex, or go to work. Nine out of ten Americans say that they pray regularly. And there's a stat, uh, in 2019, 16% of atheists, atheists say that they pray regularly. That's fascinating, right? And, and you know this, right? Like, like, people who don't want your God, people who don't want your advice, your wisdom, they'll always take your prayer. No one's, I, I never text somebody, hey, bro, I'm, I'm praying for you. Like, oh, bro, please stop. Stop the prayer. I'm against that. No one's against prayer. Even that, even that stat, right, 16% of atheists, that shows that something inside of us is longing for something transcendent. Something, and, and we do it, right? Like, I, I go golf sometimes, and, and people pray all the time on the golf course on accident. They'll, they'll hit the putt, oh, please, God, ah, right? The accidental, right? The, 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 we have something in us that desires to pray. But it's confusing. 
And I think even in this room, in a, in a place where we generally believe the same things, we, we generally kind of see this God who we love and we know he loves us, it, it's still confusing. It's a confusing thing. I mean, how, how many times do we just throw prayer into a conversation? Um, I, I've broken up with two, maybe three girls because of prayer, right? Don't judge me, okay? You guys have all, you guys have all used prayer as some kind of scapegoat in your life, right? I, I, uh, my wife and I, we raised our own support to do ministry. I'm waiting on like 35 people's prayer to see if they're going to join our, our ministry team, right? We're still waiting uh, on their prayer. I, I frequently send out texts to people saying, hey, bro, praying for you, but haven't offered any requests up to God, right? We, we, we all do this. We're guilty of it. We, we tend to talk way more about prayer than we actually pray. And uh, I, I, I don't know, some of it is just the anxiety that comes with it. E- even for some of you, probably this, this big congregational prayer, you were nervous, right? You sat in the silence and you put your hands in your pocket and dipped your head and said, oh, please, someone fill this silence. Someone please pray because I am not going to. Because I, I, I in the past and even now, still, I almost get pregame jitters when I'm in this public prayer gathering because I'm thinking, ah, this is, it's, it's awkward, it's intimate, it's weird. Because prayer is weird. Prayer, in, in essence, it, it causes some of the anxiety. I want to read this quote from Tim Keller. He says this, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things that he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us those things that we most desire. It is the way that we know God, the way that we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. And we all want this, right? We all want that. Deep change. Change the things that I love. We, we all want to really love Jesus. And he's saying that prayer is this, this, this doorway, this entryway into the deep life. So why don't we pray? Phoebe just read Philippians 4. It says, Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But I don't know about you, but I'm more comfortable or more aware of the anxiety that resides in my life than I am this transcendent peace that prayer promises. And it's because it has a whole bunch of other questions to it. Does prayer actually work? Like if God is in control and God is over everything, why do we pray? Uh, What is the secret formula to making God move? Is it like a combination? Is it people size praying plus pure hearts plus intentions and motives equals results? Like how do we get God to respond to what we want? And then there's the deeper questions, the ones that are deeply personal, the prayers that you've been praying again and again and again and seeing nothing happen. Does prayer actually change things or does it just change me? Like we have these questions that we don't feel comfortable bringing to the surface and when we're met with this, we can go one of two ways. We can actually, we can just kind of punt prayer altogether and stick to the safe things. Like, I'm just going to listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm going to read a lot of books on Christian stuff. Uh, maybe some YouTube videos. There's a lot of those out these days. I'm just going to stick to that. And prayer, I'm just going to talk about it and not actually do it. And I'm just going to pump prayer altogether. Or we actually just meet the, fa- we meet the questions face to face. And we come to them and we humble ourselves and put ourselves in a posture like the disciples and say, Lord, teach us to pray. So this morning, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at uh, some, some beneath the surface things that I think hold us back from prayer, and then just see what the scriptures have to say, and we're going to ask that the Lord would teach us to pray this morning. Um, So let me pray. Um, Father, we thank you that you hear us. Um, 
God, I, like most of us, have my own anxieties and fears and nerves when it comes to prayer. It seems simple, but it doesn't feel that way. Um, and God, I have nothing new to say this morning. I have nothing that no one has ever heard before. Um, so, so, but God, I just pray that you would take these average, ordinary moments that we just sit here underneath your word, and I pray that your spirit would, would just breathe, that it would, that it would illuminate what, what it means to commune with you in a way that, that information can't. Because we don't need information today. We don't need more facts or stats about prayer. Uh, we, we need to encounter uh, the God of prayer. So would you meet us this morning? I pray for the, for the person who is the most expectant this morning, the one who just came fresh off a quiet time and is just longing to meet with you. I pray that you would meet that person. And I pray for the person in this room that just kind of stumbled in here and is struggling with, with sin and shame and guilt. And I, and I pray that you would meet that person. God, you know us. And I pray that you would just meet us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We just say, come Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay. First thing, I'm going to talk about four things. First one is our selfish motives, or just our motives in general, right? Um, This is a frequent thing that happens in my life. I will, uh, I'll see somebody, maybe, or or somebody will pop into my head. Um, I'll I'll be driving, whatever, I'll just see somebody pop into my head, and I'll think, I I should pray for that person. I should pray for them. I don't know about what, but I just feel like I should pray for them. Maybe they know Jesus, or maybe they, whatever. And it seems like as I start to pray, in that moment, I have almost a competing voice that comes in my head. Why, Why would you want to pray for them? you know you just really want to pray for them because you want to be a part of helping them, right? Like, it's not really, your, your intentions aren't totally clean. Or, Cam, why don't you get your own life together first before you start praying for other people, right? Pray for you, bro. You got your own mess, right? This competing voice. Or, maybe it's when things get bad. Like, uh, I, I don't know, you just have that desperate moment where you feel like, I gotta cry out to God, I gotta call out to him. Maybe you're, uh, I don't know, at home with your six-month-old baby and she just pooped and it went all the way back up her neck and you're like, God, I need you now more than ever right? Or, or maybe something more serious. And then you have that competing voice that comes into your heart that says, why do you only pray when things are hard? Why don't you pray when things are good? And then you allow that motivation to stop your prayer life. I, I, I want to look at a couple prayers from, from the Bible. Um, one says this. I'm going to try to read it elegantly like a, like a prayer should be read. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into the miry pits, never to rise. May slanderers not be established in the land, may disaster hunt down the violent. Ooh, let me try one more. I am worn out calling for help, Lord. My throat is parched, my eyes fail looking for God. These, these are biblical prayers. These are from the Psalms. May burning coals fall on them. What are your intentions there? Right? Or the other one. My, 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 I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. Have you ever cried out to God so many times that you're like, I need a drink of water. My throat is parched. Anger, complaint, depression. Who, who wrote these? Who prayed these? You, you guys know, right? They're, they're from the Psalms. This, who wrote these two in particular? Well, it was David. David. You know, the da- David that slayed Goliath. That David full of faith. That David. David who wrote the, another prayer, Psalm 23, said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Heap burning coals on their head. That David, my throat is parched from crying out to you. And, and the more we look at these prayers, which, which are all in the Psalms, from, they're all in there, we, we start to notice that this is pretty normal. That this is kind of the normal prayer life. And this is the book that is kind of saying, this is, this is the model of prayer. The most common models are this. It's crazy in the middle of the prayer. And then somehow it kind of comes back to normal. But why would they be 
in the Bible. Why? Like, like some of these things are heretical, right? Like, I, like heat burning coals in our head, that's not, that's not the way of Jesus, right? Like we can, we can say that, right? Like it's not to the glory of God. That's not probably practical. It, it, it's, it's almost anti-God and his character and his nature and his ways, but they're in the Bible. Why? To teach us to pray. They teach us to pray. He says, God is not nearly as concerned with your motives as you are. In fact, one of my favorite quotes comes from C.S. Lewis. He says this, lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Or, or said another way, just pray what you have. Pray what's in you, not what you wish should be in you, not what motivations you think you should have, but just pray what you got. Let me read another quote, this one from John Ortberg. He says, prayer simply dies from efforts to pray about good things that honestly don't matter to us. The way to get meaningful prayer for those good things is to start by praying for what we are truly interested in. The circles of our interests will inevitably grow in the largeness of God's love. Many people have found prayer impossible because they thought they should only pray for wonderful but remote needs they actually had little or no interest in. You catch that? He said, he said as you pray, basically, as you pray, your motivation changes. Right? I want to read this. Psalm 140, verse 13. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to his name. The upright shall dwell in his presence. That was the end to the heat-burning coals on their head song. And, and almost every psalm ends this way. It starts crazy, and then it slowly trickles back to something that's true and good. I mean, that, 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 that's actually, what if prayer isn't about coming in with pure intentions or pure motivations, but what if prayer is the thing that purifies our intentions and our motivations? Maybe you enter into the space of prayer with horrible motives. Maybe you enter saying, uh, maybe, maybe you don't enter saying, one thing I've asked of the Lord just to dwell in your presence all the days of my life, but what if that's how you leave prayer? I, I again and again and again find myself um, feeling almost guilty by what is in my mind and not going to God in prayer with it. So what if Prayer is meant to purify your motivations, not to come in with pure motivations. Number one. Two, uh, it feels like a waste of time. <laughs> our, our cultural moment right now, we are addicted to noise and productivity. While, while, while prayer calls us into wasting time and silence. I mean, if we really just think about prayer, from, if we just moved it from the Bible and we just said people who pray, they just basically, if they go by themselves, they're sitting in the quiet and they're doing nothing. Doesn't sound very productive to me. And, and there's two real fears here. One is the silence. That awkward quietness that is just you, yourself, God, your thoughts, your own fears, your own anxieties. I mean, it, it, it's, this is really, this fear is why we have to have like a whole buckle up, phone down ad. <laughs> like just think about this for a second. We have to have ads um, to tell people, hey, please put your phone down when you're driving. People, when they drive, are, it, it, it's like astronomically worse at driving, right? Like you, like you can't be that good when you're looking at your phone and trying to look at the road. Like it just, it, statistically, whatever, logically, it makes no sense. You're going to be a way worse driver. But we do it, right? And I'm not, well, I am anti-texting and driving, uh, but I'm not like, uh, trying, that's not my point here. My point is that what does that show us? That, w that we hate to be alone. That we hate to sit in silence with our own thoughts so much that we are willing to put ourselves and everyone else around us at risk. That's our cultural moment. It's like, I need to be on something. I need to have something in front of me. I need to have noise. I need to have production. I need to check my emails on the way or else I'm wasting time. That's what's in us. So if prayer is sitting in the quiet and doing nothing, while sitting in the quiet is scary, I think doing nothing 
might even be a little bit scarier. And there's a story in Mark 15. Uh, Jesus is, uh, well, he's reclining at this house in Bethany. He's got Simon the leper and a couple other people around. And there's this just kind of crazy thing that happens. They're all just sitting there. And this, this woman comes up with a jar of perfume. You guys know the story. And, and she breaks it over his head. And, and, and the thing about this bottle of perfume, it was, it was worth tons of money. It was probably, most people think it was about a year's salary for this woman. And she just broke it over the top of Jesus. Like, how much, how much perfume does one dude need, right? Like, just a couple sprays, he would have been fine. But she cracks it open, and, and the disciples, what they respond to uh, this, this woman is, why this waste? Why would you waste? Oh, my gosh. And, and maybe, their, maybe their intentions were pure, maybe not. But they said, their, their response is, you, you could have like you you just sold that, and we could have given it to the poor. We could have done something with that, but you just broke it on the feet of Jesus. And they said, why this waste? Have you ever felt like that in prayer? Why this waste? Why am I wasting time? Because prayer at its root is stepping into the potential silence and the potential of just wasting time. And this is what scares us. Prayer is not safe. By risking stepping into the silence, you risk the things coming to the surface that you've been pressing down for a long, long time. You're risking uh, all of the different voices that speak into your life. You're, you're risking the silence of not hearing them anymore. You're faced to undress yourself before God. All the different titles that you drive your identity from, they, they slowly fall down and you have to be faced with, who am I? This is just me and God and all the other voices are gone. And I think that scares us. I think that terrifies us. But I think it's more risky not to pray. What, it, it's more of a risk to be so distracted with everything else that's going on around you that you never actually do the things that God is asking you to do. It's, it, it, it's more risky to have all these other voices in your life and, and hear them so much that you actually just drown out the voice of God and you never learn to attune your spirit to his voice that you fake all these other identities and you never allow God to give you your true identity. You never find out who you really are. It's, 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 it's risky to sit in the silence, but I think it's riskier not to. And it's a risk to, wait, to waste time. And, and I want to look at another story here that I think, I think just talks about just the waste. And there's this uh, there's a story that I think the disciples probably are on the same path with, um, but Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling a story. Most of you guys know it. It's in, it's in Luke 15. And uh, He's telling about this, this dad who has these two kids. And uh, the, the younger son kind of cashes out on his dad's inheritance a little early. He's like, Dad, I'm just, I don't want the money. Let me go. His dad writes him a check. He goes modern-day Vegas, Amsterdam, whatever, wastes all of his bread on everything. He's got no more money. Um, he, he, he ruins it. He's lost it. It's gone. And uh, he, he comes to this point where he's like, i got to go back to Dad's house. Uh, hits rock bottom, comes back, says, Dad, just hire me on as a servant. It's this scandalous story where, where the father meets the younger son and he, and he welcomes him back with loving arms. He puts a new robe on him. Uh, it, it's, it's just altogether ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And he welcomes him back and they throw a party for him. And then there's this big scene change, okay? So the younger son is dancing with, with dad. They're having a party. And the older son is out working in dad's house. He's out working on the field. He's, he's doing the things that he's supposed to be doing. And uh, he hears the music and the dancing, and he starts to ask, like, yo, what's the deal? And, 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 and somebody tells him, hey, well, your younger son is back to throwing a party for him. And he's like, oh, my gosh, that's so dumb. <laughs> right? Like, that, like, logically, right? Like, we kind of bash the older son. Logically, he's really the only one that makes sense in the story. It's fine. Like, I'm, I, I agree with you. But he comes back, 
and, and, and then it says that the dad goes and entreats him, and he says, son, why don't you just come in and party? And there's this line that the father says to the son, he says, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Essentially he's saying, son, you've been here all along, but you've never used my resources. You've been doing all this stuff for me, but neglecting me and all that I have for you. And maybe that's us. Maybe, maybe we just neglect the resources, or, or we at least neglect who has the resources. See, people who pray, people, people who pray understand who has the resources. So the response, why this waste, says way more about how we see God than it does our desire for productivity. And I was talking to Jeremy this week about the sermon, and he, he always hits me with like some good zingers, but he, he, said, he said, prayer is more about discipline. Sorry, I, I messed it up. I messed up your own quote. Prayer is more about dependence than it is discipline. Prayer is more about dependence than it is discipline. Maybe our struggles with not wanting to waste time in prayer really just shows how we see God and how we see ourselves and our dependence on ourselves rather than the one who has all infinite resources. And, and that stung me. I was like, ah, oh, come on, bro. Because I, I don't pray like that. I don't have this childlike dependence on God. And I think one of the things I'm learning as I'm, as I'm growing older and having a kid, <laughs> now I can say those things, um, now that I'm getting old and I'm almost 30, so uh, um, I, I'm, I'm learning that as you grow in spiritual maturity, it's the exact opposite of the way that you grow in normal maturity. That as you grow in spiritual maturity, well, I guess when you grow in normal ma- maturity, you grow in independence, right? Like, you, you turn 15, you get your permit. You can drive a little bit. You get to be 16, you can drive by yourself. Then you got bills and a house, and you grow in independence, and you can do more on your own. But I think the more I'm realizing, the more I'm growing in spiritual maturity is... <laughs> the more dependent I have to become on God. Growing in spiritual maturity is growing in dependence on God. And as you grow in dependence on God, your prayer life begins to flourish because you see who has the resources. You see who can meet your every need. So um, what what if it's more risky not to pray? (laughs) What, What if it's more of a waste of time to do anything without praying? What if that's the waste? I don't want to do anything if God's hand isn't on it. Maybe that's the waste of time. Number three, doing it wrong. One of the things that holds us back from prayer is just doing it wrong. Or maybe I, I'm just not, I'm not a good prayer. And this one's personal for me. Um, I grew up in a church tradition that we had a lot of uh, structured prayers or like prayers that they kind of wrote for you and you'd say on their own. So I didn't have to formulate any conversations of my own to God. I just kind of like prayed the ones mindlessly and heartlessly that I knew. Um, but I went to this Bible study with a couple of my buddies that they invited me to in high school, and I wasn't really, really walking with God, maybe a little bit, um, but they invited me, and uh, at the end of every week, every Bible study, um, we, would, we would gather hands around, and we would pray. Awesome. It was so cool, um, but every week, we would do, it was actually a great, it was a great thing. Um, what they would do is we'd hold hands, and uh, if you didn't want to pray, you just squeeze the hand of the person next to you, so I was a pro squeezer. Like, I never said a word. I just would get squeezed, and then I'd squeeze. Super easy. Um, but we would pray in this circle at the end of every week, and I would, uh, I remember just be like, you know, I have to pray this week. Like, I have to do it. And I remember trying to build up the courage, and uh, I grabbed hands, grabbed the other hand, somebody squeezed me, and, and uh, I don't know, they started praying, and then I, somebody squeezed me. It was my turn. I said, holy Mary, and then <laughs> squeezed the next hand, passed it right along. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know what came out. I was so scared. Um, but, but we all experience this, right? Like we hear super spiritual prayers. Maybe even this morning you hear something and you're like, yo, that was, that God definitely heard that one. Um, I, remember, uh, I remember the first guy who started discipling me. He, uh, 
I just had read Colossians 1, and it says that you've been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of, this, of, uh, of his beloved son. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then we prayed at the end, and he, uh, he prayed a hedge of protection over me. I was like, first off, what is a hedge of protection? So I had to go look what a hedge was. And then I had to see that a hedge is just like some shrubbery, like a bush. And I figured he prayed a bush over me. Like, what is that? That is no place against this domain of darkness that I just read about, right? A hedge of protection. Like, but, but we all experience that. And, and then I found out that it's actually in the Bible. But it's just, we use spiritual phrases that we actually don't normally use, or, or you hear other people saying them, and then you kind of compare yourself. Spirit, uh, prayer at its worst becomes like this weird comparison thing. Um, and, and what that perpetuates in us is that we pray wrong. I don't pray like that guy. I don't pray like that girl. I'll never pray like that. And that there's this gap between who we really are and our real prayer life with God and what, how we feel like we need to pray. And John Ortberg, again, he says this, the key to removing this gap between who we are and how, how, what we think prayer should be, the key to removing the gap is something he just calls simple prayer. Just pray for the things you actually think about and pray it in normal words and do it for a short amount of time. His recommendation, and mine would be too, try 60 seconds of simple prayer and see what God does. Try 60 seconds of just praying whatever's on your mind to God. That's it, just try it. Try 60 seconds. Um, Let's even look at Jesus' response, right? They said, teach us to pray, O Lord. And he says, let's let's just time this really quick, okay? He says this, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Boom. Time it. Somebody timed it? No. <laughs> Nobody did. 20 seconds, right? Maybe 15 seconds? 20 seconds? That's, that's a little crazy. And I, and I read it with some like, dramatic pauses. But Jesus responds to the disciples saying, teach us to pray with a 30-second prayer. That's a little bit profound to me. And you might be thinking, well, Cam, that's a shortened version. I know the other one that the football team prays, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The longer version, still 30, 35 seconds, maybe. And praise God, right? I mean, thank God that Jesus didn't say, when they said, teach us to pray, he didn't say, all right, turn in your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's get going. The, the school of prayer. He didn't do that. Um, and, and, and that's the thing. No, no one actually thinks that they're good at prayer. So that, that, that kind of gives all of us like this little bit of, of relief and release because nobody really thinks that they're good at prayer. In fact, Dallas Willard, he says, in prayer, Dallas Willard, in prayer, we're all beginners. We're all beginners. In the spiritual life, I would say, we're all beginners. And if you read a bunch of books, so, so I started, I'm just curious about this prayer thing, so I started reading a lot of books, kind of skipping over the theology, like the first half, and just be like, give me the practicals. How do you pray? Almost every book, the, 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 the biggest thing that they will give is you learn to pray by praying. It's helpful, thanks. You learn to pe- pray by praying. See, prayer is way more about practice than it is theory. You learn to pray by doing it, just like everything else, right? I learned to, I learned to shoot a jump shot not by reading and watching YouTube videos and then going out on game day and saying, all right, here we go, let's do it. We learn to do it by doing it. We learn to pray by practicing. Uh, a couple summers ago, me and my dad, we, uh, we started to golf a little bit. We started to play a little par three course uh, at my house in Colorado. And uh, we played it a couple times at the beginning of the summer. And then I, I was like, I'm going to start playing a bunch. So I was hitting up my buddies, trying to play as much as I could. Uh, and my dad kind of went the other route. He was like, nah, I'm a PE teacher, so I'm, a, I'm just going to read. I'm going to read about golfing. And he bought a golf book on how to golf, which 
I, I don't know if anybody has seen those, but they are not exciting. Uh, th- that will drive you to the Bible if you try to read a golf book. Um, but my dad was like, I'm going to read this golf book. I'm going to learn how to swing. I'm going to learn how to golf. And uh, we kind of made this, this bet, this deal at the end of the year. Um, let's do it. Let's golf. Let's see who, who, who wins. And we, will, we bet something on it. And uh, we went to golf. And the first three holes, my dad was killing me. He was killing me. His swing looked totally different. I was like, this is amazing, Dad. Like, the, the book thing. Should have read. Shouldn't have played. But what happened was, that was the first three holes. Hole four, five, six, seven, eight. My dad just fell apart. He fell apart because he had no muscle memory. He had no practice. And, and I started to catch a little fire. We were both horrible. So it's like really bad scores. But I beat him. And, and, and what that says is my, my dad, see, he had, he had the theory of what it looked like to swing a golf club. He had the theory. He, he had all the understandings. Swing back, shake the hand of the neighbor, come back, come through, whatever it is. He, he, he had all of the theories. But I had practice. I had done it again and again and again. And that's what real prayer is. Prayer is much more about practice than it is theory. And that'd be my, that, that would be the thing that I, I feel like if we could become people of prayer, people who practice prayer. We, we might not understand all of it, but we just practice and we become good at it by doing it. Fourth thing that I think holds us back, and I think this is the, the main thing, is shame. Shame. Shame's goal at the end of the day is to kill your communion with God, to kill your prayer life. Shame, like it did in the garden, causes us to hide, while prayer for, forces us into the awkward intimacy of being fully known. I, I used to think, uh, when I, once I got married and I had a kid and uh, I started to, you know, some of, the, some of the sins I used to struggle with and some of the shame that I used to have, I, I kind of thought as I went on in my Christian life that I wouldn't experience those things anymore. And uh, I'm still tempted more than ever uh, when faced with who Cam really is to, 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 to hide, to, to pull away from God and his presence. I feel like the temptation to, to, to experience shame, the temptation to hide is always just knocking at my door. And maybe it is for you too. Maybe you're just not as, long, not as far along as you thought you would be by now. Maybe, maybe you have some secret sin. Maybe you have some deep-rooted bitterness towards somebody that you just don't want to face or it's unforgiveness. But either way, we all have something that drives us away from God and into the hopelessness that is shame. I mean, that's the feeling, right? Like, I can't go to God in prayer. I have to, I have to get right first. I got, I got to get my things right. And no matter how far along you go in your journey with Jesus, those feelings are all still there. And I'd say all this is an understanding or a misunderstanding of how we view God. It's a misunderstanding of why we can pray in the first place. I mean, that's the question. Why can we pray? Why does God actually hear us? And we forget that without the gospel, prayer is actually impossible. Right? And that, we, we read that verse this morning. Hebrews 4 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to that faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You catch that? That's a crazy shift, right? You go from naked and ashamed and exposed to confident. 
to confidence. See, prayer, prayer is all about confidence. Prayer, prayer, and prayer is not about shame. It is completely built on confidence, and this confidence has actually nothing to do with you. Like, you ever wonder, I wonder for a long time, why, why we pray in Jesus' name? Why, why do we do that? Is that just like a cool little phrase we throw on at the end of a decent prayer, the most spiritual prayers? But it's not. It's, it, it's to pray according to the name of Jesus. It's, it's to pray according to the blood of Jesus, as if to say the only reason that you just heard everything I said was because of Jesus, because he lived the life that I was supposed to live, that he died the death that I was supposed to die. He rose from the grave and conquered death. So now I pray not according to my righteousness, not according to my own goodness, not according to my own morality or devotion or discipline, but I pray and I come in Jesus' righteousness, that I come in Christ, that he only hears my prayers because of Jesus. And that's why prayer is about confidence. Prayer isn't about shame. Prayer, pr- you, you can't have shame when you pray. I want to look really quick at that, that, that verse in Philippians 4 that Phoebe read. It says, in ver- in, before we get to verse 6, Right? We, we, see, we see verse 6 through 7 a lot. This, this don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Or even in verse 4, it starts with rejoice always. But I think we skip over this little part in verse 5. Right before verse 6, it says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Prayer is nothing unless the Lord is near. And the good thing is, 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 is after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sends his spirit to be in us and with us, right? He said, it's better for me to go than to stay here so that I can send the helper, so I can send my spirit. So right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, Emmanuel, is with us and in us, and he is near. Because of the gospel, God isn't far. We don't enter into prayer with these emptying, these heaping up empty phrases to some foreign God that maybe might answer us. We, we, we enter into an intimate conversation with the God who is close and near. And maybe that is why we struggle with prayer. It's how we see God. Nancy Mayer says, one, who one believes God to be is most accurately revealed, not in any credo, but in the way one speaks to God when no one is listening. You want to know your theology? You want to know how you actually view God? See how you pray when no one else is around. See how you pray when no one else is around. And that's the most beautiful thing about prayer. Is it's, it's the place where, it's, it's the space and the place where you can be fully known and fully loved. It's the place where you can enter into it with all of your brokenness and all of your shame and all of your guilt and it's where, where it's not just an intellectual, informational thing, but it's where uh, the love of God is transformed from a theory to a reality. It becomes real in your life through the experience of prayer. So my hope for us is that we would become and continue to become people of prayer, that Jesus, through his word and his spirit, would teach us to pray. The Psalms, they teach us to pray what's in us, not what we wish should be in us. Jesus' parables, they teach us that nothing is wasted in the kingdom, that God has infinite resources, and to do anything without prayer is a waste. Jesus' prayers teach us to keep it simple, and that prayer is way more about practice than it is theory. And the gospel, the gospel teaches us that God is with us, that we have confidence, and that the Lord is near. Let me pray.